uh, California. I have been gone for almost two weeks to uh, Germany, a part of a, a mission trip team that we, we sent out. Uh, we partnered with a collegiate ministry called a Connection. And uh, am I turned on here? Can you guys hear me? Okay, great. Uh, and we, our job was really to help get a new college ministry started in a city uh, called Bonn in uh, Germany. And uh, part of our mission trip, we were able to lead a retreat for their students. And I was actually able to be one of the speakers for the retreat. And so if I stop, that's me waiting for a translation, realizing that I don't have one. And then I'll start again. Okay, so if, if there's if you think there's some sort of a delay that's in my head and hopefully by the end, I'm going to catch up that I don't have to do that anymore. And so it was a very odd experience. I would say something like this. And just wait and just think about what I was going to say next. And then I'd start again. And then sometimes I would forget that there's somebody that doesn't understand me and I would just keep going and going. And then I'd look at the translator and the look of despair on her face. So it was a great experience, a new experience. And another note, um, I am still in like jet lag mode. And so if I just like stop talking altogether, that's reflective mode. Okay. That's not me daydreaming, but that's just me thinking reflectively. And so just clap your hands and I'll snap right out of it and we'll continue the message. Hopefully this will be under two hours. Okay. That's the worst intro ever, right? You guys are freaked out now. Uh, we're continuing a message series called Stories of Grace. And what we're doing is, is looking at the scriptures with kind of some unlikely characters like J.R. mentioned and how God really intervened and interacted with them. And many times at Christmas, uh, if you're like me, this is the time where you want the feel-good story. Uh, it's kind of that... It's Christmas. We have a category for Christmas where people shouldn't do certain things or you should do certain things. You find yourself doing that? Like you find something that somebody did and it's terrible and you think, but it's Christmas. Or there, you know, normally you maybe don't want to help somebody, but there's something in you that thinks, you know what? It's Christmas. Guys, you know, feel that? That's like the Yuletide cheer, right? Isn't that what that is? Either way, we eat candy canes, we enjoy this time, and so good stories appeal to us. Uh, there's also kind of another story that's weaved throughout Christmas as well, and this is kind of this idea of you actually have to earn uh, like the gifts that you're going to get, and you receive that at an early age. And uh, kind of one of the tools of parents to leverage, like, hey, But even companies, there's like Christmas bonuses and you hope that you've done enough at the end of the year to get the bonus. And so this, there's part of like we want a good story. And then there's another part of Christmas where it's kind of like there's this earning kind of leverage potential thing that we, that we all kind of hear and are familiar with. And uh, if you've watched the movie Elf, Elf is like one of the best Christmas movies ever. Okay? I am hyping that up. And so you're probably going to be very disappointed but it is funny. And so there's a little clip that kind of talks about this, this how you, are you good enough theme around Christmas. So, I hear you're going on a little journey to the big city. Yep. Uh, kind of nervous. <laughs> Leon says New York is pretty different. No, don't pay attention to Leon. He's never been anywhere. He doesn't have any feet. I've been to New York thousands of times. Really? 
What's it like? Well, there are some things you should know. First off, you see gum on the street, leave it there. It's not free candy. Second, there are like 30 raised pizzas. They all claim to be the original, but the real one's on 11. And if you see a sign that says Peep Show, that doesn't mean that they're letting you look at presents before Christmas. Can't wait to see my dad. We're going to go ice skating and eat sugar plums. Yeah, that's the other thing I wanted to talk to you about. You know, buddy, your father, well, he's on the naughty list. Taking the books back? <laughs> see, I, I see what you're trying to do here. You're trying to make me feel bad when, in actuality, you're the one that missed the payments. But the children love the books. I know that. Uh, you know, I'm the one that ran the focus groups, but I like hearing that. Listen. So, Elf, there, if, in case you didn't know with the curly hair, that, that was Will Ferrell. Uh, he was devastated when he found out his, his dad is, is on the naughty list. He, he didn't make the cut. And, uh, you know, at Christmas time, there's this kind of thing in the back of our mind that we've grown up with where there's kind of, again, enough things that we need to do to be good enough, uh, hopefully by, by the end of the year. And uh, what you find is in the Bible, there's actually a very different view of, of good. Uh, there's actually a very different view of what we should be uh, focusing on. In, in the Bible, the story is kind of flipped on its head, and this is kind of a central theme throughout Scripture, and that's grace is favor from God that we have not earned. And so as we're looking at stories of grace, it's really this understanding of grace that it's something that you have received that, that you have not earned at all. And there's nothing that you can do to earn this grace. It's, it's a gift uh, from God. And uh, in Romans it says this, Do you not know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So there's this element of we all kind of want to be good enough or we all need to feel bad enough to become good enough. And there's this kind of thing of what we need to do to earn God's favor, what we need to do to earn the favor of those around us, whether that's our family, whether that's our friends, whether that's our coworkers, whether that's our boss. Uh, but what you find in the person of Jesus Christ and in a relationship with him is that there's actually nothing that you can do to earn that. Nothing. And in fact, like I just read, it's the kindness of God that he wants to draw us in. And so the reason we can't earn it is if there would be an insurmountable amount of pressure to try to please the God of the universe to be good enough. And we couldn't stand under that pressure. We couldn't survive in that pressure. And so the stories that we're going to be looking at today is, is a, of a character that really, in, in all so many words, just had terrible choices that he has made. And this story is something that you'd think, this isn't like a feel-good Christmas story. And it's kind of not. It's actually a really dark and kind of depressing story. But in the midst of it, it allows you to see just kind of where we all are. And that's this idea that we, we all are broken and we're in need of kindness that we cannot earn. And so we're going to be talking today about the story of Judah. And we're going to be kind of taking the, the big story that spans a lot of time and kind of condensing it 
into a short amount of time. So I encourage you, as you hear the different references that I'm going to be talking about, if, if you're not connecting all the dots or I've not been able to connect all the dots for you, I encourage you to, to read this story and kind of all the different events on your own. This is actually a good opportunity to see how some decisions played out and what God did despite what Judah and his family members did in this story. And so I want to jump in and I've kind of broken this into various scenes. Like any story, a scene helps you know what the focus is of that particular time. And so you'll find on your outline, if you want to follow along, uh, the different scenes on the front page there. I'm going to be kind of talking about the things that happened in those scenes and then highlight some of the things that that God did as all that was going on. So I I just want to jump in. Uh, You'll find this uh, in Genesis. Uh, We're going to kind of dig in about chapter 37. But you may have heard of Judah. And if you haven't, you've probably heard of Joseph, his brother. Joseph is the character in the scripture that had that really cool technicolor dream coat robe. That was actually a musical. You might have heard Joseph in the technicolor dream coat. Well, that's actually from the Bible. They didn't call it a technicolor dream coat, but this is the brother of Judah who we're talking about. And the story starts where really Joseph is the favorite of all the brothers. And without realizing, he kind of rubs this in as he explains that really all the brothers are going to bow down to him. And note to self, if you're a brother, you don't tell the other brothers that they're going to bow down to you. That's not a good way to get the relationship started. And so there was a lot of tension with the other brothers. There's lots of tension within the family because Joseph was, he was like the favorite. And so one day they just decide, you know what, we, we can't have Joseph cramping our style here. Uh, we're not getting the attention that we want from dad. We, we want kind of the love and where's the love? And there isn't any with Joseph here. And so they, they decide to, to do something about it. And uh, Genesis 37 just picks it up with some plans that they have to take care of their brother, Joseph, who they're, they're jealous of. And it says this, here comes that dreamer. They said to each other. So they're kind of planning and trying to think through what they can do. Come now. Let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dream. See, I told you this isn't like that feel-good Christmas story. I gave a disclaimer, but here you find they just, they jump right in. Joseph's cramping our style. Let's take him out. And so they talk and they're kind of playing this and they think, wait, wait, that's, that's a little drastic. The older brother kind of pulls them together. Wait a second, wait a second. Really throwing him into the well and killing him, like, that's a little drastic. He is, he is our brother. And so let's think of another way. And so instead of just going right for the kill, they decide, let's, let's actually, let's see if we can make some money off this. And this is where Judah comes in. He's, he's kind of this man that thinks, if we're going to do something, let's see what, what we can gain. And then this is what he says to his brothers, Genesis 37, verse 26. He says, Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. See, the story just warmed up a ton, right? Let's not take him out. Let's sell him instead. See, it's like Christmas cheer is in there somewhere. And he says uh, his, his brothers agreed, it goes on. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern. So they threw him in the cistern as they were trying to figure out. This is like a big hole in the ground. Let's figure out what we're going to do with him. And then they pulled him out. And at this point, you think Joseph's thinking, well, I guess they changed their mind. We're all going to be one big happy family. No, they pull him out and they, 
we have a plan for you, Joseph. We are going to sell you as a slave. It's been nice knowing you. Okay, so they pull him out and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. And so not only was he sold as slavery, but you did not want to go to Egypt. This is a place where you don't want to be found by yourself. Okay, they will take you out, they'll put you to work, and no one will ever hear from you ever again. Okay, and so you find that the brothers are conspiring. They think, let's sell him. Judah's in the mix trying to make some money for everybody. And then they, they go and they, they have to tell their, their dad now. They have to come up with this lie that makes them innocent even though they were guilty. And so he tells them that this, this, this animal took him out and he's, he's gone. And verse 34 says this, Then Jacob, that's the dad, tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. So as you could imagine, they think they're a smart plan. They want to sell him into slavery. And then it really hits. Their father is, is distraught. He's, he's broken. Their, his son is gone. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him. So the very people that conspired to do this are now coming to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning will I go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. So you get this point in the story that Jacob, as they're seeing their father completely distraught, completely broken... They know what's happened. They know that he's still alive, that their father is broken, thinking that he is dead. And they had an opportunity to bring the truth out to really happen, to turn around and say, wait a second, we made a terrible choice. We sailed into Egypt. There's still time. We can go get him. But they didn't say a thing. Judah, who came up with this master plan, kept his mouth closed. And there's a pattern in Judah that you'll find as we continue the story about his life, that there's a pattern of hiding the truth. That became a real part of his life. And what happens is, as we sin, as we make choices that don't please God, whether that's how we treat people, whether that's what we do at work, whether that's just in, in the daily life, whatever we do that just we know we're not choosing to, to live life God's way, but instead to please ourselves, sin creates this, this brokenness from God. And what sin does is it actually causes shame in us and, and it leads to hiding and Randy talked about that last week as we talked about the first story of grace with Adam and Eve, that they, in their sin, hid from God. And there's a pattern that you find again and again. When we make choices that that go against God and His ways, there's just this fear in us and this shame that we have to hide ourselves from Him. And so you see this early on from the decisions that Judah had made, that he, he was going to just stand in the background. He didn't want to be found out. He wanted to kind of live life his way. But ultimately, he was living a life of of shame. He was living a life of just utter despair to himself because he had made choices that had affected the lives of many. And so I want to jump to scene two. And the truth comes to light. And so Judah has a pattern of hiding it. But what you find later in his life, the truth actually comes out as to to who he is and what's important to him. And so I want to fast forward. Uh, This is kind of some more drama. This stuff... Like, this is like soap opera stuff, if you haven't figured this out. This is crazy. Like, the networks, they could write this stuff, and if you didn't know they were biblical characters, it would probably be huge, because it's just conspiracy after conspiracy and all sorts of craziness. And so I preface that with just some other things that are going to happen now that you're going to be like, that's in the Bible? It's kind of, it's crazy. So Judah moves on uh, with his life, and he has three sons. And his oldest son gets married to a woman named Tamar. Okay? 
uh, his oldest son dies, and now Tamar is a widow. And in the biblical times, uh, this is also kind of soap opera-like, the son that are still alive are supposed to marry the widow so the lineage can continue. And so Judah goes to his sons and says, hey, you know, the oldest son, you need to marry Tamar because she's widowed now. And he's like, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to kind of live my life. And he's crafty just like his dad. And so Judah, in the midst of this, decides, you know what? I know I should help this, this woman who's my, my daughter-in-law. She's experienced trauma, but I'm just not going to ask my sons to do this. And so he, again, decides really to just please himself, not do the hard thing. And what ensues after this is Tamar decides that this, this cannot happen. She needs to be taken care of. No one's taking care of her. And so she actually commits to taking revenge on Judah. Okay? You guys following me so far? Again, it, this is kind of crazy. We went from like killing, slavery, money, to now widow, revenge. Okay? So stay with me. So Tamar decides to do something about this wrong. Okay? So she decides that she is going to be, uh, to try to ensnare Judah and she, she pretends to be a prostitute. And he has no idea that this is his daughter-in-law. And he sleeps with her. And he sees her again, and it's tomorrow, and she, he doesn't want anything to do with her. And then all of a sudden, he hears that she's pregnant. And again, he didn't know that this was her. And so he, he decides to free him up from this obligation that he has as her father-in-law. He decides we need to... She needs to be burned at the stake for the wrong done. And he calls for this, this group to take, take her out. And what you find is that she had some of his stuff that he used to, to pay. And she comes with his stuff and says, this is the man who is the father of this child. And all of a sudden, Judah realizes, uh-oh. Can everyone say that? Uh-oh. I didn't hear it. Yeah. Uh-oh. I mean, really, uh-oh. He's lived his whole life, and all of a sudden, he called to the death of this woman and realized that she has the proof that ties him to this terrible sin that he had committed. And so in the midst of all this, the truth came out about the choices that he made. The truth came out about really what he had been doing, and no one knew. And he was just living a life of sin. And not only that, but he was actually accusing people of doing other things and he, he wanted her, her life to end as well. But it was him who caused her this great pain as well by the choices that he made. And so Genesis 38, the story continues and he says this, Judah recognized them and said, so he recognized the stuff and said, she is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son, Shelah, and he did not sleep with her again. So there's just this point where he realized that my sin is, has caught up with me. The choices I've made have caught up with me. I've been trying to hide it. I've been trying to kind of go my own way. I've been trying to kind of take a step back and allow just no one to really know what I'm about, no one to really know what's important to me. And all of a sudden, in a split second, the truth of who he was was apparent to all the people. So he had nowhere to turn. He just decided, you know what, she's more noble than I am. She at least is honest about her state. She at least is, is honest about who she is. And so what you find is, as, as you think about grace, a lot of times when we think about grace, we don't really think about what grace has saved us from. 
And it's grace that has saved us from these things within us that we try to hide. And ultimately, we try to hide them before God, just like Judah. The things that we, we've done, the things that we've thought, the things that we've said, all these things that we've done in our past, the things that we've done last week or years ago, these are the things that, that we try to, to hide from God. And God knows who we are. God knows what we've done. And so it begs the question, well, what, what do we do? If God knows and we are shamed by the things that we've done, what do we do? And actually what you find is in the story of Judah, you, you, you see what God did. And so I want to walk through that. Uh, scene three, Judah is a changed man. Now, for everything you've heard so far, you really hope that, that he is a changed man because the path he's on seems like his life is blowing up and being destroyed. And so uh, this kind of leads to this point where he, he confessed, he realized that I've done this, she's better than I, I've made all these choices. And the confession is the thing that kind of begins to turn his life around. He admits who he is. He admits what he's done. And what you begin to see is from that beginning confession before God and in front of the people, he began to start experiencing freedom. He began to start experiencing a new hope that he had never experienced before in his life. And that's really how life works. A confession is, is really the first giant step to change. You cannot change if there's nothing to change from. So recognizing that is, is crucial to the, to the journey forward, to the way forward that God wants us to have. In fact, confession is the doorway to freedom from shame and the first step toward change. And this is confession. It's really admitting before God who you are and what you've done and not trying to hide from Him anymore. And for us, we probably don't have a, a list of this drama in our own life, Lord willing. Uh, but we do have things that we've done that are not pleasing to God. So it begins with, by recognizing them and, and confessing them to Him and just being honest with, this is, this is what I've done and not trying to hide it anymore. And so let's kind of continue and see what happens after He kind of takes this path of confession what happens next? Well, I'm going to link kind of two parts of history. Remember, Joseph, his brother, was sold into slavery. And only by the grace of God, Joseph actually experienced a good life in Egypt. That seems impossible, but he became like second in power in this land in which he is a foreigner. And so even that, you see the grace of God that where his brothers want to destroy Joseph, Joseph had this position of power. And a famine came on the land and... Uh, Jacob, the dad of all the brothers, realizes that we, we are not going to make it as a family. Uh, we don't have food. We don't have supplies. We're not going to be able to survive this period of time. Our, our lineage, our line, our family tree is going to get wiped out. And so he sends his brothers to the land of Egypt to get some food for their survival. Okay, so here, here's what's crazy. All the back history selling their brother into slavery. Who do you think they meet? When they go to Egypt, they meet their brother. Now, at this point, they don't know it's him because it's been a long time. And he's, you know, he's got like robes on. He's got the, the bling, okay? He's second in command in Egypt. The Egyptians, they know how to like have style. And so they've never seen their, their brother like this. Like 
from the shame, from the cistern, you know, dirty and the well and slavery to this person who's now in charge of deciding how much food each family gets. Now, is that crazy? You read that and you're like, wow, yeah, Joseph, food distributor, that's amazing. What's on TV tonight, right? You're, you just, okay, it's kind of old history, but think about that. The brother that was sold into slavery is now the person that has the say on how much food the people that sold him into slavery will get. Right? It's crazy. This is kind of what God, God's working. And so they, they go to Joseph and say, hey, hey, Joseph, they don't know it's him, so hey, ruler of the food distributing guy. That's not official, in case you didn't know that. They come to him and say, you know, we need, we need food. We have all this family. Hook us up. Basically, hook us up. We need to survive. We need to survive this time. And, and Joseph d- decides that, that he wants to kind of see if, if, if they've changed. Okay, here's the person that they betrayed. They wanted to kill. They sold him into slavery. And now they're asking him for a favor. And so he decides, let's, let's see if, if, if they've changed. I don't know what's happened in their life, but let's see what, how the brothers treat each other. And so, a long story short, they, he asks for all the brothers to appear. And so they, they came to Egypt to get food, but they left the youngest brother with their dad, Jacob, okay, Benjamin. The reason they left Benjamin is because their dad had already suffered the loss of Joseph. And so if Benjamin went on this trip and died, they knew that the, the dad, Jacob, he, he wouldn't be able to take it anymore. And so they leave the youngest brother, and Joseph, not seeing everyone, decides, hey, where? you said you have this number of family, but I, I'm missing one. Where's, where's Benjamin, this brother you mentioned? They said, well, he's at home with our dad. And he says, oh, you, you cannot get food unless all of you are here. So now he's got the power. He's saying, now, if you want the food, you've got to bring the whole family. Okay? You've got to bring the whole family. And so... They go back and they say, okay, let's get, let's get Benjamin. Let's bring him in. And so Joseph, in this, he, he kind of, I don't know if this is like noble or ignoble, but he basically decides, let's plant, he tells his servants that are working for him, let's plant this silver cup in the backpack of Benjamin and make it appear like he stole it. So it's kind of a test. He wanted to see what happens. What are they going to do? Are they going to admit that they stole this? Are they going to act like this was a conspiracy? Are they going to try to figure out a way to get out of this? Because he knew their history. He wanted to see, given this circumstance, what, what would they do? What were they made of? Have they changed? And so he plants this silver cup in the backpack. And, of course, Joseph, knowing that, decides to say, hey, let's search their bags to make sure they don't have anything. So he said, once a brother, always a brother, you see? He's messing with them. Let's see what's in their bags to make sure they don't have anything. And so they search the bags and they're thinking, wait, we don't have anything. Why would we have anything? We, you're the food distributor guy. You're the one that's going to determine whether we live or not. Why would we steal from you? And so they unpack the bags and the brothers are like, this is crazy. Why are we doing this? And all of a sudden, Benjamin opens his bag and there's a silver cup. And he's thinking, oh, no. I got punked. Someone planted it. And my brother's like, they've said they want to kill people before. And I may be on the chopping block next. And so you can see that he freaked out. All this stuff's happening. And this is what happens in chapter 44. 
And Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? Basically like, there's a cup. We don't know how it got there, but what shall we say to you? What, what can we say to defend ourselves? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. That's amazing. Judah basically says, well, obviously, we've made a bad choice. Because there wasn't a cup in our bags, and now there is. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also, in whose hand the cup has been found. So he's basically saying, we're guilty. There's a cup in here. He wasn't sure how the cup got in there. But we're guilty. And so, it's amazing. This is Judah, the person who's made all these decisions to implicate other people. And in the midst of all this stuff, where they could have the chance to survive, they could have the chance to food, to continue their lineage of their family, it could be stopped right now. And instead of fighting against that, instead of fleeing, instead of running, he admits, it says, yeah, we're, we're guilty. Because there's a cup in there. I'm not sure how it got there, but... We're guilty. And so the deal is, okay, so Joseph's thinking, well, now let's see what else they're made of. And so Joseph continues in, in chapter 44, and he responds, and he says, but he said, far be it from me that I should do so. So he's basically saying, uh, Judah responded like, what should we do? Uh, should I be your slave? What do you want from me? And, and Joseph says, far be it from me that I should do, do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. So Joseph is saying to Judah, I want Benjamin. The very person that you said couldn't come on this trip. Because if he, got, if he died, it would destroy the father. That's the person I want as my servant. So Joseph is again doing things to kind of test their hearts. Are they going to stand for their brother? Are they going to choose loyalty to him? Are they going to say, thanks, Joseph, it's been real, Benjamin, see you later, and just walk away? What are they going to do? And so Joseph's wanting to see, okay, are they actually going to sacrifice for each other like they never have? Are they actually going to show consideration like they never have? And so Judah decides he needs to talk to Joseph. And so he pulls him and he says, food distributor guy I can't let my brother stay here if I do my father will die he will not be able to survive another son being killed or being a slave he, he will not be able to do it and so he pleads with him pleads with him don't take Benjamin take me You can imagine Joseph hearing Judah say this, and for the first time in his life, seeing Judah actually consider someone other than himself. And Judah is, is just trying to plead. He's trying to just figure out a way, how can I protect this brother that my dad told me I have to protect? And you know in the back of Judah's mind, he's thinking, I have already cost my father, one of his sons. I cannot do that again. And in chapter 44, verse 33, he says this, Now therefore, please let your servant remain, 
instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord. So please, let me pay the price of what has happened. Let me be the one that bears the brunt of whatever it is that we have to bear. He says, and let the boy go back with his brothers. So in the midst of it, he chose to sacrifice himself. Judah! All that I've said about him so far. The truth came to light. He confessed who he was and this this new person began to grow. A person that realized who he was. He wasn't worth anything before God. And instead of just choosing to just claw and earn all he can and get ahead of everyone in his life, he decides for the first time, take me. I'll stand in the gap. I'll sacrifice. So for the first time, he's no longer just thinking of himself. And could you imagine if, if Benjamin again would have to do that? He would have another brother in slavery because of the choices that he has made. And he would have another round of explaining to his father how he has lost another son. So Judah decides, I cannot do this. I am going to do the right thing. And so he is a changed man. Judah would not do this unless this was really who he was on the inside. And it started way back then where the truth came out and he confessed and he decided to turn and admit who he was. And from that point of action, it happened years before, you see on the other side a transformed man, a different person. And the story goes on. He actually gets blessed by his father. And I'm skipping kind of more history here, but at the end of his father's life, Jacob, uh, like all the fathers of this time, you, you bless and kind of tell the different sons and the daughters like of what they are going to receive. And so, you know, if you're a child, you kind of wait like, oh man, do I get the donkey or do I get like the food cart? And you're like kind of pumped and, you know, just kind of wondering what you get. And, and you, you imagine Judas thinking, I'm, I'm lucky if like I get a seat to sit in from all I've gotten. And so they're probably waiting, anticipating what what Jacob is going to give. And he actually gives a blessing to the most unlikely. He gives a blessing to Judah. And this is what it says in verse in chapter 49. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. What? Your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. There's this part. You, you will have power. You're going to be a leader. It goes on. Judah is a lion's cub from the prey. My son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion. And as a lioness, who dares rouse him? So you have this power. Let no one mess with you. And he goes on. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Grace came to Judah. The most unlikely person. All the decisions that he has made. The people that he has double-crossed. The sin that he has committed. In the end, because of the fact that he decided to admit it before God, you see redemption. That is the story that only God can do. There's no way that a person like Judah, or me, or you, can receive favor because of what we have done. 
But because of the grace of God, He intervenes and He intersects with our life. We have hope. If you're like me, you say, if there's hope for Judah, thank God, I think there's hope for me, right? Judah gives hope because he was blessed, the most unlikely. And he even goes further. It kind of transcends even to the New Testament, the genealogy of Jesus. At Christmas time, a lot of people talk about kind of where Jesus came and his birth and all the people that were kind of connected to his family tree. Well, check this out. Matthew chapter 1. A lot of times you kind of rush over this. This is like maps in the Bible. You ever do this like maps? It's like it's that's many miles. You're like, yeah, I don't need to know. Genealogy, okay, this person, this person. You ever get to that list and you're like, like after the sixth person, you're done tracking. Well, this is why lineage is important in genealogy. It says this. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac, the father of Jacob. Okay, this is where you kind of get, oh, dear. Verse 6, where are you, right? The father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of who? Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez. And Zerah by who? Tamar. She's in there too. This is crazy. And Perez, the father of Hezron. And Hezron, the father of Ram. Okay, so the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the chosen one. Judah's name is in there. His name is in there. Your name is in there too. If you choose to do life His way, there's nothing that you have done that erases you from being connected to Jesus Christ. And Tamar, she's in there too. Because if you turn to God and you do life His way, there's nothing that you can do that takes you away from the relationship that Jesus wants to have with you. This is a story of grace in history that Jesus extends to us. And so I just want to encourage you. Stop hiding from the God who pursues you. Stop running from the God who wants to have a relationship with you. Whether you've been investigating Christianity and you're maybe trying to figure out what it means or what it doesn't mean, the bottom line is, It starts with admitting that you need help. That you need someone that transcends space and time that supernaturally can intercede and intersect with your life. So it begins with admitting that, confessing that. Just like Judah did thousands of years ago. So I want to encourage you, stop hiding. And if you are a Christ follower... And it's been a while since you've really admitted kind of where you are before God. Or you maybe been a while before you've admitted your sin before God. Take the time to tell God where you're at. Take the time to, before Him, confess. And in that, freedom flows. And so I want to encourage you to take some next steps related to what I just said. Or if there's anything else that's kind of stirring in your heart and you think that you need to do, I encourage you to take that step today. Uh, each week we talk about next steps. And as the band comes up, I want to walk through these. Uh, on your back of your connection card, you can mark a next step that you would like to take. Uh, if you've heard this and you just think you need to respond in a certain way, uh, we've given you some suggestions that you can take. Uh, this is not an exclusive list. If you have something else that you want to do, I encourage you to write that on there. But the first thing is uh, your next step today could be to admit 
what I've been trying to hide from God and receive His grace. just need to admit, you, you've been in hiding. And you need just to decide, I'm not going to hide anymore. Uh, the second thing is, aim to give grace to others this Christmas. Okay, Christmas time is busy and it's stressful. And it's like you're going from one thing to the next. You've got to get all your work done. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. And in the midst of that, it's so easy to run over people. It's so easy to put yourself first and sacrifice others. The example of Judah at the end of his life is he actually sacrificed himself and put others before him. And I want to encourage you, that's something that you can decide to do with the people that that you relate to, whether that be at work, no matter how difficult they are, whether that be at home. There's people in your life that you can choose to be gracious with. That impacts how you speak to them, that impacts how you treat them, that impacts the attitude you have about them. So I want to encourage you, just ask God, is there somebody that you can extend grace to where they can feel hope because of the way that you have treated them? So I encourage you to do that. And then last but not least, invite someone to our family Christmas service we're going to be having on the 22nd. This is a great time where we talk about the difference that Jesus makes uh, in everyday life. And there's adults talking, but the best part is there's kids that sing, and that's worth the price of admission, which is free anyways. But it'd be worth it even if it costs money. Okay, so we invite you to do that. There's a flyer in your program where you can invite people as well. Let's pray together, and then we're going to sing back to God and receive our offering.